Caleb was a man who obviously, Numbers 14, 24, Joshua 14, Joshua 15, followed God fully his entire life. Now, it's one thing to start out following God fully. It's another thing to go through the wilderness with 600,000 people around you dying, an average of 40 funerals a day. And they're all murmuring. And to be one of those rare individuals that keeps exalting God and keeps following God fully. It's amazing that Caleb stood up against the stones and followed God fully initially. But may I suggest to you it's maybe even more amazing that he followed God fully through 40 years of the wilderness and came out the other end and God uses the very same expression. He has wholly followed me. Say, that's the kind of man I hope you want to be and I want to be that our entire life of ministry, not just student years, whatever the Lord has in store for us, that it would be said of us by other people, but even by our own conscience, my only desire is to follow the Lord fully. But what does that mean? That's a paradigm I want to set before you. First of all, verse 24 says, there was another spirit in Caleb. So it means, first of all, that you've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to be born again. You've got to have that spirit of faith rather than the human spirit of unbelief. You need the grace of the Holy Spirit to keep on repenting, keep on believing, keep on trusting in the Lord, keep on losing your own righteousness and finding it all in Jesus Christ. If we don't have that other spirit, that Holy Spirit, our lives will just be wasted at best and condemned forever at worst. And so it's altogether possible to be a theological student in a conservative Reformed seminary and not have the Holy Spirit. Don't ever use, don't ever use the seminary. Don't ever use your studies as a substitute for having the Holy Spirit. This is something we need all the time, all the time. Also in every sermon, my original theological teacher used to say to me, you need the Holy Spirit for every sermon, twice, once in the preparation, and then in the pulpit delivery. But practically, it's not only a matter of having the Holy Spirit, it's also a matter of personal conviction worked in you by that Spirit that you must and you will and you're committed to following God fully in all your studies, in your whole way of life. So what does that mean? Well, four, four quick things here. Number one, it means to follow God persistently. Remember that psalm where David says, my soul followed hard, hard after thee. I can't do without God. I want to follow him. I want to follow his will. I want to emulate his holiness. I want to live out of Jesus Christ. So, so often, even as believers, we, we tend to live a roller coaster life, don't we? We have our ups and downs and 
we're, we're, we're often inconsistent and we're not persistent. Uh, not just when things are easy, but when things are hard, we often flounder. When we get in Satan's sieve, we often grow weak. We say with Abraham, you know, Sarah's my sister, or with Jacob, all these things are against me, or with Job, we curse the day we're born. Caleb didn't do that. He walked through the wilderness 40 years and followed God fully. What an example. He was persistent. He, he lived a daily, intentional life. And that's the way, that's the way to get up in the morning to say, Lord, help me to follow thee fully today. Make me useful today, fruitful today, consistent today, persistent today in following thee alone. Secondly, it also means to follow God sincerely, sincerely. That is, with all your heart. He's worthy. He's holy. He's beautiful. He's lovable. That means we're, we're willing to sacrifice all for him, to suffer through anything for him. That's a tough question. Would you be willing to do that? <sighs> People were, if you guys all had stones in your hands right now and you're ready to throw them at me and kill me, I think I'd say, uh, well, let's, let's talk this over. Let's have a meeting. Maybe, maybe we can compromise a little bit here. Caleb didn't do that. I'm going to stand on the Lord's side, no matter what the cost, even if it costs my life. You see, he's entirely sincere. He'd rather die than sin. That's one of the deep convictions you see of the, the old saints like Daniel. Rather go in the dying's land than move the lion's den, rather than move a little bit behind the corner and pray to God where they couldn't see him. So he's, he, he does as he did aforetime. He's sincere. And God knows how much the world, the church today, needs consistent, sincere men of God. If you're not sincere in the ministry, you're going to be exposed sooner or later. People will say, you're fake. Or they'll say, you know what? He doesn't really, his life really isn't a transcript of his sermons. He's different in his life than he is on the pulpit. But you see, that's, that's not Caleb. Now, thirdly, to follow God fully means to follow God holistically in, in every area of your life. If you divide your life into, say, 12 pieces like an apple pie, every little section of your life, for Caleb, it didn't matter what section of life you're talking about. What God is saying is he followed God fully in every area of his life, every compartment of his life. And four, follow God fully is to follow God exclusively. It's to have no other gods before us. It's to have no idols. It's to have nothing before God. Not even the will of your spouse or the will of your children. It's to follow God exclusively. And God, God hints at that in this text when he says, but my servant, my, my slave, the, the one who, whose will is designed to be swallowed up in my will, my servant Caleb, 
because he had another spirit with him, has followed me fully. Now, of course, Caleb doesn't have all this by himself. The text says it. Because he had another spirit with him, he has followed me fully. You see, he leans into and he leans upon and he draws out of that indwelling spirit to help him follow God fully. And so that's what enables him, after he's 85 years old, to say to his boys, sons, let's go in. Let's go in and take out the giants. And uh, what were his sons? Maybe they were 40, 50 years old. And so the four of them go in and take out the giants. And this, this is amazing. 600,000 people wandering for 40 years in the wilderness because they said, we're just grasshoppers compared to them. We can't get the victory over them. And Caleb, an 85-year-old man, goes in and does the job by the grace of the Holy Spirit with his boys. It shows you, it shows you what God can do in the life of a person who's following him fully. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you know, if you follow God fully, you're going to do some heroic exploit on the level that Caleb did here. The church needs ordinary men in the trenches serving ordinary churches faithfully, and often there won't be extraordinary results. But if you follow God fully, by the grace of the Holy Spirit within you, you'll hear the voice of your master on the great day, and that's worth everything. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Well, so that's the paradigm for approaching your, your student years. Now, in terms of living as an ideal seminary student and drawing on um, Gibri's approach, but, but modernizing it, let, let me give you 10 very quick principles. Number one, Gibri said, we, as an ideal Puritan, what it means is we are to give everyone all their just due. That's an interesting statement. And what would that mean in contemporary terms? It would mean you have to live a balanced life. You have to have your priorities right. God is number one. Spouse is number two. Children number three. You're number four. And you have to balance everything in your life, particularly as a busy student, in a way that does not give undue pressure to your family or to your work or to the church. You need to balance all those factors, also the church and, and work and, and friendship. And what we see often, what we see often in seminary, particularly those of you who are new, we see Brand new students, their first couple of weeks, they're in the library just looking around. And they're, uh, they're visiting with friends quite a bit, you know, and getting to know people. And uh, they're, of course, getting used to the community. And before you know it, a month has gone by and they haven't handed in a single paper the whole month. Say, no, no, no. What you do. If you give everything you're just due is you take the first week of assignments, you map out on the calendar for the semester exactly when you need to have each paper done to the day, 
you're a day or two late sometimes okay uh, but be, you got to catch up then you see but you you don't you can't i mean in the summer go ahead look at the look at the uh, library but you can't afford just looking around in the library now because assignments are going to be due they're breathing down your neck something has to give way if you fritter away time so the point is when you give everything you're just due in life whether you're a theological student or something else you cannot kill time as the world says it you cannot waste time time is more precious than gold and so you balance your personal devotions you balance your time with your wife and family you you balance your time with with, with friends with 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 work with church life and you you get a system where you give everyone as the puritans call it their just due commandment number two is your first care in life says giri is to serve the lord to serve the lord and do what is good in his sight and not your own well that's still contemporary that's well worded puritans call this living coram deo living in the face of god so really the way you spend your time the way you spend your life the way you spend your years at seminary is not is not what do i want to do the paradigm is what does god want me to do how can i best be prepared for ministry best benefit from puritan reform seminary and the faculty in the way that god wants me to be that's the question thinking god-centeredly not not self-centeredly and then number three is that we are to use all the means of grace in a way that feeds our souls it's not just seminary you're to be very involved in the preaching of the pastor of the church that you're in you're to drink in from preaching you're to be very involved in reading the scriptures privately on your own in fellowshipping with God's people about spiritual things so don't forget that the spiritual disciplines are a very important part of your life the Puritans call them holy habits so make sure you have that private closet as they called it that place you go every day to seek the face of God now that's supplemented by your your religious studies of course of course and blessed is the man who finds that his studies at Puritan Reform Seminary actually uh, augment his devotional time with God because the studies are of a spiritual nature but you still need that time alone with God number four Gibri talks a lot about prayer 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 is critical for ministry prayer is one half the task of the ministry if you read Acts 6 verse 4 rightly that we could give ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word is why the office of deaconry was established after all well <coughs> those patterns of prayer need to begin now 
part of training for the ministry is training in prayer, intercessory prayer, as well as private prayer, family prayer, family devotions, family worship, as well, for those of you who are married and have children. And so, Gibri says, the ideal Puritan is much in prayer, in his personal closet, in his family, and in the public assembly. So even in church, it's not just the minister up there praying. Puritans were teaching that when the minister prayed, the whole congregation should be involved in the prayer and praying with him. That's what you want your people to do with your prayers one day. You do that with the minister's prayers, the church you go to right now. So in all your studies, make it a habit. Make it a habit when you crack open your books to offer, even if it's short, Offer a prayer that God will help you in your studies today. And when you, when you close up your studies, close it with prayer. Bookend your studies with prayer. And when you feel God's need, or need for God's help while you're studying, get down on your knees while you're studying and cry out to Him. I always put it this way. In most sermons, would to God it were all sermons, but in most sermons, when we prepare them, no matter if we've been preparing sermons for 40, 50 years, we come to a point in our sermons where we absolutely need God and can't see our way through, and we get down on our knees and pray for insight and for applications and for help from above. Ask God that you can establish that kind of pattern in your student years. That's critical. And number five, Gabriel writes this, the old English Puritan accounted perspicuity, which is clarity, the best grace for a preacher, and that method best, which was most helpful to understanding affection and memory. So what the Puritans did was they, when they preached, they addressed the mind with clarity, first of all, then they convicted the conscience pointedly, and then they allured the heart affectionately. And you see, that's true in our private devotions. That should be true even in our studies. But that's also true for all preaching in the future. So as you train to do practice preaching sermons, for example, remember this. Remember that you need to be very clear in your preaching. You, you just shouldn't go for uh, academic sermons. You've got to reach the people. You can't shoot arrows over their heads. You've got to shoot arrows into their hearts and into their minds. Address the mind with clarity. Convict the conscience pointedly. Allure the heart affectionately. And number six, the ideal seminary student, like the ideal Puritan, says Gary, valued and treasured the whole Lord's Day, the whole Lord's Day, as a day of worship to God. We believe, we believe here in this seminary that this whole idea that you just go to church once or maybe twice, but the rest of the day is yours, and to go eat in a restaurant or to go out golfing or, or to go out with friends and talk about secular things, that's an offense to God. That's what we believe. God gave us one day in seven. It's a foretaste of everlasting heaven. It's one day in seven too much to devote wholly to him. 
It should be our delight, Isaiah 58, 13, 14 says, to surrender this day to God. What a blessing, J.I. Packer said, that on the Lord's Day, we don't have to prosecute any earthly business, but are totally devoted to prosecuting heavenly business. And what has come about in the last generation or two, where even in evangelical churches and reformed churches, even pastors downplay this whole day of worship into something that's just a partial day, so that it's no longer what the Puritans called the market day of the soul is not a good thing for the churches. That's tragedy. And I hope that as a seminary student here, and I speak also to you new students, as you, you hold the Lord's Day in total reverence, that you don't use it for anything but to worship God in spirit and in truth. Number seven, the Puritans had one eye on eternity, as you know, and the other eye on time, but that eye on time they used also in relation to eternity this way. They said a Christian must be the best husband, the best wife, the best parent, the best children, the best masters, the best magistrates, the best subjects, that the doctrine of God might be glorified and adorned and not blasphemed. So what that means in today's language is people are watching you, especially as a seminary student, in every area of your life. And not out of a legalistic motive whatsoever, but out of a motive to glorify the worthy God you serve. You want to be most honorable to him in every area of your life. This is the Caleb mentality. And this is the Christian mentality. Number eight. Gibri says that the ideal Puritan was a man who had a tender heart. A man who had a tender heart with regard to his own sin, but also with regard to the misery and the needs of others. You can be a great preacher one day, but if you're not a caring pastor who doesn't really feel the needs of others, you will fail. A pastor has to love people. He has to have a tender heart. Yes, at times he needs to be firm, but also times he needs to be tender. He needs to remember that God is a God of second chances. He needs to receive the penitent. And he needs to have a tender heart with regard to his own sin. How can I do this wickedness like Joseph and sin against my God? It's my sin that crucified the Lord. How can I perpetuate that? Now, when I'm saved. Number nine. Gary talks about, in quaint language, about fighting worldliness. And let me just say it bluntly. If we live for this world, we're not prepared for the world to come. Don't get caught up with this world's possessions, this world's temporal fun things live antithetically to this world dedicate your whole life to the living god live soberly 
but with holy joy out of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That joy will far supersede anything this world can give to you. And number 10, Giri says, The ideal Puritan counted his whole life a spiritual warfare, wherein Christ was his captain, his arms, prayers, and tears, and his cross was his banner, and his model word was, He conquers who suffers. Wow. What are they talking about here? They're talking about Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 7, life is a battle, battle against sin, battle against indwelling iniquity. But life is also about victory in Christ, Romans 8, being more than conquerors in him. And that balance, you see, having both inside of us at the same time, is reflective of a man who's engaged in spiritual warfare. And that's what every minister is called to be. A man who stands in the breach. A man who engages in spiritual warfare. So, if you take these ten things practically today, and you, <laughs> you say, here's Caleb, here's my paradigm. Follow God fully. And then these ten things flow out of that. You have a picture of the ideal seminary student. Except for one thing. Behind Caleb stands the greater Caleb who is absolutely perfect in every area. He is your strength. He is your be-all and end-all. And if you miss him, and you miss that internal spear, you miss everything, no matter how many of these things you strive to accomplish. So bring all of these things to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to be your captain in this warfare, your Savior, your Lord, Live in him, out of him, by him, through him, to him, for him. With your whole way of life. Follow the triune God in Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of Christ fully. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask thy benediction upon this uh, short convocation address. We pray for the mind of thy spirit. We pray for thy son to be our all and in all. And we pray for thy fatherly wisdom and fatherly discipline and fatherly love to go before each of us as faculty, as students, as staff. Let thy kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.